Beetlejuice. 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 <laughs> Beetlejuice. The ghost with the most, Beetlejuice, earned his stripes on Broadway and is coming to Philadelphia. From May 30th to June 11th, visit Grim Phillies, Dark Philly, Adult Night Tour, any night the week between May 15th and the 22nd in your deadliest Beetlejuice costume to be entered for a free pair of tickets to see Beetlejuice the Musical on May 31st at the Academy of Music. If you've not been out for a while, or if you've not been, this is a great extra opportunity. And you know you want to see us, and we want to see you. Be sure to tag plenty of pictures of yourself in your best Beetlejuice attire. Post them to social and tag Grim Philly Twilight Tours on Facebook or Instagram and the Kimmel Center on Facebook or Instagram and you could win free tickets. There's nothing better than free. We hope to see you there. Grim, the mature audience history podcast, dark histories, true crime, salacious stories by historians for your R-rated educational intellect. This is Grim. Everyone's heard rumors about Benjamin Franklin and the ladies. He's had 975,000 kids all run around Philadelphia and the world. And there's at least some truth to that. Not the illegitimate children, I mean, all but one, who we've already discussed. But that, in spite of what you may think, in a modern sense, on the Rico Suave moves of sexy Benjamin Franklin. He wasn't always the scraggly-haired kite-flying Philadelphian standing in front of the Liberty Bell with a cheesesteak on the tourist map on your fourth grader's classroom wall. Women... Let me tell you, loved him. Thomas Jefferson said of Benjamin Franklin that he would lose his shit utterly around a pretty girl and became what he called intoxicated with them. Thomas Jefferson, to be fair, liked Benjamin Franklin. Abigail Adams, on the other hand, was completely fucking horrified by this and saw him as a pederastic lech for the exact same thing. In the next two episodes of our seven-part Benjamin Franklin documentary series that would be in episodes three and four. We celebrate the $100 Founding Fathers sex life mistresses in this episode, open relationships in the next. It's fun. Benjamin Franklin, the man was on fire, electric fire in a jar. Did you know that the State Department, the government of the United States, censored, censored Benjamin Franklin, censored a founding father, held his writings back from the public. In the Victorian Gilded Age 1800s, there was an attempt to polish the images of the founding fathers, maybe Franklin most of all. So there were some things that he did, some correspondence that he made. <laughs> they're really, they're so good. Join Brittany and myself, along with Ted Sisko, Neil Ronk, and Madam Tony, your grim Philly historian friends, up close and personal with the Silver Fox, 
his mistresses, his advice on the ladies and mistresses, because you need that, Benjamin Franklin's advice on ladies and mistresses. But let's start with this fun, <laughs> secret, and censored by the government of the United States letter. Super secret Benjamin Franklin today from your historian friends at Grim Philly. You're listening to grim, explicit histories, grim topics, extreme, dark histories, folklore, and the paranormal for mature audiences. We keep it real. We keep it educational, thought-provoking, like a motherfucker. I'm Joe Woji, and this is grim. Dark histories. True crime for mature audiences. You're listening to Grim. We are historians Joe Woji, Brittany Smith, and Ted Sisko here today with historians Neil Ronk and Tony Levitt. Grim times, motherfuckers. A reading from the celebrity historian, Britton Smith, from the Gospels of Franklin. On this day, the 25th day of June, in the year of our Lord, 1745. The founders, Old Mistresses Apologue, from the Rosenbach Foundation and Library of Congress National Archives. Without ado, celebrity historian, Britney Smith. Yeah. She's so, blushing now. She's blushing. I'm really not. Yeah, she <laughs> She's not blushing. She's used to it. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> so yes, June 25th, 1745, Benjamin Franklin wrote, My dear friend, I know of no medicine fit to diminish the violent natural inclinations you mention. And if I did, I think I should not communicate it to you. Marriage is the proper remedy. It is the most natural state of man and therefore the state in which you are most likely to find solid happiness. Your reasons against entering into it at present appear to to me not well founded. Their circumstantial advantages you have in view by postponing it are not only uncertain, but they are small in comparison with that of the thing itself, the being married and settled. It is the man and woman united that make the complete human being. Separate, she wants his force of body and strength of re- He, her softness, sensibility, and acute discernment. Together, they are more likely to succeed in the world. A single man has not nearly the value he would have in that state of you. He is an incomplete animal. He resembles the odd half of a pair of scissors. If you get a prudent, healthy wife, your industry in your profession with her good economy will be a fortune sufficient. But if you will not take this counsel and persist in thinking a commerce with the sex inevitable, then I will repeat my former advice that in all your amours, you should prefer old women to young ones. You call this a paradox and demand my reason. They are these. One, because as they have more knowledge of the world and their minds are better stored with observations, their conversation is more improving and more lastingly agreeable. Two, because when women cease to be handsome, they study to be good. To maintain their influence over men, they supply the diminution of beauty by an augmentation of utility. They learn to do a thousand services, small and great, and are the most tender and useful of all friends when you are sick. Thus, they continue amiable. And hence, there is hardly such a thing to be found as an old woman who is not a good woman. Three, because there is no hazard of children, which irregularly produced may be attended with much inconvenience. Four, 
because through more experience, they are more prudent and discreet in conducting an intrigue to prevent suspicion. The commerce with them is therefore safer with regard to your reputation. And with regard to theirs, if the affair should happen to be known, considerate people might be rather inclined to excuse an old woman who would kindly take care of a young man, form his manners by her good counsels, and prevent his ruining his health and fortune among mercenary prostitutes. Five, because in every animal that walks upright, the deficiency of the fluids that fill the muscles appears first in the highest part. The face first grows lank and wrinkled, then the neck, then the breast and arms, the lower parts continuing to last as plump as ever. So that covering all above with a basket and regarding only <laughs> what is below the girdle, it is impossible of two women to know an old from a young one. And as in the dark all cats are gray, the pleasure of corporal enjoyment with an old woman is at least equal and frequently superior, every knack being by practice capable of improvement. Six, because the sin is less, the debauching a virgin may be her ruin and make her for life unhappy. Seven, because the compunction is less, the having made a young girl miserable may give you frequent bitter reflection, none of which can attend the making an old woman happy. Eighthly and lastly, they are so grateful. Thus, much for my paradox, but still I advise you to marry directly, being sincerely your affectionate friend. So in short, <laughs> I mean, older ladies, well, first of all, they've been around a lot longer, right? So like, they're just way better conversationalists, mentally stimulating, intellectual conversation because they've been around longer. So they're more fun to hang out with. Like this is colloquially in short. Secondly, they've been around longer. So in bed, they've been around longer. They know what you want. They know what they want. It's more fun. And lastly, they can't get pregnant. So it is a win, win, win. This was not in Richard Saunders' writing. <laughs> <laughs> this letter actually was banned for a long time. A long time, right? Yeah, for a long time in the 1800s. And it was actually one of two letters that was used by opponents of some of the censorship laws in the United States in the 20th century. So they were actually using it to fight against some of the obscenity laws that were that would have censored it. Because <laughs> oh, back in, yeah, back in the early the Victorian 20th century. era. It was the 20th century. They were, was it the 20th? So, it was the early 20th century. Okay. It was censored because obviously it can be explicit were, in aspects. So it was considered kind of like pornography. So it was being censored. They couldn't publish it. So other opponents of that were arguing that actually you shouldn't be censoring this. And so even the Secretary of State it. said, no, like we can't. They <laughs> literally had it at the State Department in the 1930s. They read it for some of the guys and everybody immediately was like, yo, let me get a copy of that. Because like literally Franklin thought it was fine enough to give to his grandson Temple as part of his papers. And Temple was like, ah, wait, this one I'm going to pull. I'm not going to publish this with my grandfather's papers. And he held it back. And then once he died, once Temple, his grandson died, somebody else got a hold of it and it stayed unpublished for a long time. And eventually the State Department purchased this and they were like, yeah, this is good to have. <laughs> <laughs> this is good to have, but it's not good to publish. And I believe the State Department purchased it from here in Philadelphia, A.S.W. Rosenbach of the Rosenbach Museum and Foundation here. He was the most important American rare book collector that we had. He was based here in Philadelphia. He collected lots of great stuff. And this was like his pride and joy. He was, I think he purchased this in like, I forget it was uh, whenever he purchased it though. But he was like, this is gold. Because this is something we've not seen of Franklin before. This is the same Rosenbach, too, that we discussed in previous episodes that had purchased Napoleon. supposedly <laughs> Napoleon's penis. <laughs> Napoleon's so. penis, yes. Lots of cool things. 
As a matter of fact, too, I mean, just on the subject of Franklin, he purchased his very first bylaws for the Pennsylvania Masonic Lodge, only sold them for like 500 bucks to a Brit. And I know that the, you know, not to get into the Masons because we will in the next episode, Franklin's Masonic connections, but the Philadelphia Lodge here, St. Albans Lodge has, I think, three copies of like the first edition of that, but not the actual, the draft that Franklin was working from. And Rosenbach, he must not have been a Mason because he wouldn't have probably parted with that to a British purchaser for 500 bucks back then. But back to the letter, though, it's important to note that they were trying to really polish the images of some of the founders and Franklin in particular for a while. And so they had a lot of work to do. Yeah, they weren't trying to publish this. It is interesting if you were to put that letter in the curricula of a modern high school, especially (laughs) I do mention that in my classes because about the basket. If especially. we're now living in an era that we don't want to upset the student, oh, this well, is non. That's a letter that would. <laughs> oh, they're not. They're not worried about the sexually. You know, no, no. The sexual but part. They're afraid about be. the race. I mean, part. if you're going to put critical race on the, that's a goodie. Yeah, but how the, to get an older mistress? <laughs> and to put a basket over her head. Yeah, <laughs> it's the original Butterface. Excuse me, I quite identify with this, being the oldest person here by far, being a madam in a former life. I've certainly been more interested in Ben's sexual life than the rest of it. History, fuck history. I want to talk about his sexual life. Well, that's um, a history. And well, well it is history, too. But uh, I don't give a fuck when he did this and when he did that. <laughs> give me the years. I could care less. Just what was he doing? You want the bedroom seat? It was I'm in the dark. going to print this out. And I'm going to just have it with me in my bag so that if I meet a nice looking young man who appears not to be married, or I'll ask him, I'll just say, are you married? On my tours, I could meet nice looking young men and just hand it to them and say, just in case. Let's turn the lights out and get down and dirty. Heed Franklin's advice. Franklin would approve. (laughs) (laughs) The other letter that came afoul of the obscenity laws in the United States was the speech of Polly Baker from 77. And that was was another bit of a scandalous essay that he wrote. Baker, let's hear about Polly Baker. Well, Franklin only admitted to writing it after he had grown older and basically too famous that he couldn't be censored because at that time it probably wouldn't have gone over super well but I mean I'm not going to read the whole thing but it's just an essay in which he creates this imaginary character Polly Baker and this woman she keeps giving birth to illegitimate children (laughs) that uh, sounds familiar (laughs) so you know she's arguing this whole thing before a court up in New England and it turns out the magistrate one of the fathers of her many many children and she's like you can't be like angry at me I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing I'm supposed to be fruitful and multiple yeah. yeah and she's like that's what i'm doing and like it's a whole franklin's other essay. commandments <laughs> i'm doing god's work basically that's what the it's, it's kind of like it's a bit like satirical and everything yeah. but that's basically her argument she's like well like i'd be doing a better job if you didn't keep bringing me up before the court and like finding me <laughs> and so if you let me do my business i'd be good yeah so but that was another essay that also kind of came afoul of uh, some of the Kennedy laws later on well specifically rosenbach here in philadelphia purchased the old mistress's apologue which is now in the National Archives in 1926 and it was on display at the Free Library and Exhibition of the Franklinialia that he had objects connected to Franklin, Franklinialia. That would have been in 1938 and when the State Department first got a hold of this stuff, they had the wives of all the diplomats and everybody leave the room before they read it because they thought it would offend them. And immediately after Everybody came up and was like, that was good. Let's get a copy. And they were like, no, you're not allowed to have a copy. Just feel lucky. We actually read that to you. So Franklin had a lot of lady friends. 
in France. And I think that it kind of culminated in France with the most crazy shit because he was like a fucking rock star. He goes over to France. I mean, this is a motherfucker that snatches lightning from the gods and scepters from tyrants as we come to know him now. But he goes to France with the most famous reputation. It was like fucking Beatlemania. It was Franklin Mania. People paid money to get a front row seat, not a front row seat, but like to see him on the streets go by in a carriage or sometimes they would carry him in a chair. You go to the Franklin Museum today here in Philadelphia. There's a chair here and he had them in Europe as well, but it looks like one of those old barrow chairs where you got those, like the Ark of the Covenant, where you got those two big long rods on both sides and a chair. And he had bad gout, so he didn't want to be walking around as an older man. We didn't have Al Pirinol and (laughs) fucking take for that shit. He didn't have to walk. (laughs) He got carried and people would pay money to see him be carried down the street. That's how famous he was. So imagine in France where people are quite open with their sexuality and their flirtations and he's a ladies man and he ate it up and some of the other founders commented on it and thought one way or another about it, particularly Abigail Adams, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson at different points. I think Madame Tony needs to be carried down the street. I think she's the one. Oh, that would have we open the tourism seat. <laughs> yeah. It would be better than the running of the tour guides, <laughs> which is my idea. The running of the madams. <laughs> But yeah, Abigail Adams, she fucking despised it. John Adams just, he didn't like his personality, period. And the fact that the ladies fawned over him was even all the worse. I mean, and I Franklin, feel like that's the most famous, too. That like, I feel like most listeners probably already know that John Adams did not get along with Benjamin Franklin. I feel like it's popped up enough in different personalities, completely. Yeah. Cultural interpretations. Here in America, they were interacting with one another and Adams fucking hated him here. He hated him even (laughs) more in France. And you think they're both from the same area of the country. They're both from the north, you know, from Boston. So you figure him and Adams, but it seems Franklin was definitely more worldly than Adams ever was. Yeah. Because Adams was more, I won't say puritanical, but yeah, basically puritanical. You know, the um, about half of the Continental Congress, when they decided to, at least this is how I understand it. Neil, you can correct um, <clears throat> wanted Ben to actually write the Declaration of Independence. Yeah. But the other half, about half, they said anybody but Ben because he was just had a wicked sense of humor and he could always put double meaning things in that certainly those people wouldn't have understand. I'm, he was part of the mm-hmm. committee to write it, but yeah. he wasn't exactly. in charge of writing it. He wrote it together with Thomas Jefferson. But he yeah. Yeah. did contribute a lot with yeah. Thomas Jefferson. And Thomas Jefferson liked him a lot. They were both people of the Enlightenment. Although Jefferson was an elitist, Franklin was not. Adams was an elitist, but actually Jefferson and Franklin kind of hated on Adams together because he was an anal motherfucker. Yeah. Although Jefferson and Adams very famously made up. They were friends. They later weren't friends. Yeah. They were frenemies. Yeah. Well, they, they went through a period of friendship. In their lives. Yes. Yeah. And died on the same day, eight hours apart from each other. It's a fucking yeah. beautiful story, actually, on the... 50th anniversary of the signing of the Constitution. They both fucking die and Adams' last words are, Jefferson still lives. <laughs> like but, he was all butthurt over but no, no, but no, he wasn't alive. <laughs> Jefferson died in the morning. Eight hours and before. And Adams yeah. died in the afternoon. Yeah. They Very make, you know, the odd couple, it will, in American history, Jefferson and Adams. They really do. But while they're in France, Adams and Franklin are the real odd couple. I've always thought there could be a really good, just as there is Grimm, there could be a great series called Humorous History. Just a whole sitcom of the two of them. Oh, God, they would be a great sitcom. They already did it. It's a odd couple. It's in real life. <laughs> well, there's a BBC or Granada television sitcom on Shakespeare and his family, and it is a hoot. 
<laughs> now I want to see it. Neil called it a hoot. Now I really want to see it. <laughs> it it's just great. It is good. We'll see what Neil thinks is a hoot. <laughs> well, back to my point before, Virgen, that was the French diplomat that Franklin got along with. And actually, when Adam sailed over to France, he was surprised when he got there to find out that Franklin had already negotiated the treaty with France and the open alliance and signed that. But when they were there, obviously Franklin understood the situation. When you look at the situation, right, France didn't help us because they gave a fuck about us. They're always at war with the British, like at all times. There's a hundred years war, which lasts like 114 years. They are at war continuously, just pauses in between. So it behooves them to, oh shit, yeah, your colonies are in rebellion. Let's take away that manpower and taxation in the futures, an investment in our future the next time we go to war with you. So it was for selfish purposes, but without them, we could not have won. So Franklin, he understands. He is a chess player, but he plays the game of chess, chess in life. He understands that the French are not doing it for us. They're doing it for them. So when they first go to war on our behalf, they don't send troops to America. They attack the British in the West Indies to steal British shit out of self-interest. So Franklin understands this, but the British are tied up with doing that. So he's not going to fuck around and like push for Jen and piss him off. Adams does. Keeps sending him fucking letters and he's like, you need to do this, this, and he's micromanaging. And dude sends him a letter back and he's like, mother. Moving forward, send me no more letters. I will speak to you no more. I will only deal with Mr. Franklin. And then he goes and talks to Franklin and he says, this motherfucker, and this is completely like unheard of for a diplomat to do this. He copies Adams's letters, gives them to Franklin. This motherfucker, this is what he wrote me. Show this to your Congress and get him the fuck out of France. And he does. Franklin has been asked to do that. He copies the letters. He sends them back to Congress. He's like, this motherfucker needs to be sent the fuck out of France. Dude has asked me, Virgin has asked me, get him out of here. And then Congress does. And he's all pissed. And if you guys, if you guys at home have seen the John Adams movie by HBO that's based, yep. based on the Pulitzer Prize winning author, David McCullough, you've seen him as like fucking Ben Franklin hot tub party, right? Because Adams like storms in on him like... You know, it's the one time he's gonna he's gonna put propriety aside and he not knock and he storms in. Franklin's in a tub, like like a hot tub, like with a hot, the, with a woman, with a woman playing chess. <laughs> it's, it's not actually true. It's partially, partially true. It's partially true. He was not actually. I mean, HBO took liberties with that. He's what not, HBO took liberties? It's it's a pretty accurate crazy miniseries, but yeah, this they went over the top with. Franklin was, however, in a room with Catherine, Madame Halvidius. While she was, no, 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 Madame Brillon, it was that one. They were his two supposed girlfriends while he was there. A lot of flirtation with the both of them. And, and we're going to talk about a lot of it. But he was in a room with somebody else playing chess while Madame Brillon was soaking in the tub. And then he apologized to her the next day. And he said, yeah, I was really absorbed in that game of chess. I apologize. You were probably quite waterlogged because I played for a really long time. But like, you know, in America and usually like in most places, like, you know, a woman taking a bath, like men are not in the room. Like that is completely outrageous. HBO took a little far and they put him like physically in the tub naked with her and they were playing chess together. That's not actually how it happened. But it was like Ben Franklin hot tub party. It's a good scene. You're telling me these things are not absolutely true? Well, I was on TV. It must oh, be true. Oh, well, that's true. It's, yes, I thought everything online. Online and in blogs and in Abs- Wikipedia. It's on also the right. internet, it's absolutely and on true. And on this podcast, podcast, we try to get it right. We try to. We do try. Ben never, Franklin, or never mind. Never let the facts get in the way of a good story, I always say. Well, oh, that's what that's Herodotus, great. the father yeah. of history, that's what he said. <laughs> he said history should entertain yes. as much as it should educate. So we take that line. But. 
we do not have interference from the gods making things happen as Herodotus, the father of history, would have. We tell you a good story. <laughs> Two fun chess facts. Franklin actually wrote the second article involving, like, talking about chess in the United States. He has, like, the second article talking about it. Hmm. And uh, I believe he was inducted into the American Chess Hall of Fame in, I want to say, 1999. Wow. So he is. He is. Yeah, he loved chess. And then, obviously, when he, he went abroad, he got to play against much stronger opponents, I guess you could describe it as. So He played against Lord Hal here, who occupied Philadelphia. <laughs> he negotiated. He tried to. It was unsuccessful, but he tried to negotiate a peace treaty with, with General Howe over a game of chess prior to him and Adams going up to Long Island when he had conquered when General Howe, that is, that conquered New York. That was when you, in the last episode, Ted, told us about Franklin and Adams sharing a bed together because the owner only had one and Adams was horrified that Franklin slept naked and with, in the, bed. Win- with the window open. You need good air. Yeah. Yeah. Air yeah. Good An air bath. Yeah. yeah. Franklin had revolutionary hygiene. By the way, we need to mention that people for years did not bathe. I mean, when you look at people in the Middle Ages, well, all right, when you go back before Rome, the Romans fucking bathed. I mean, they had bathhouses everywhere. It was a law. You got fined for being stinky. They were really clean people. They were the first to shave, all that. But it was associated, the bathhouses, with the plague. When the plague wiped out a quarter of Rome, So Europeans, having seen that the Romans were knocked out a quarter of their population, most of it spread in the bathhouses because these people were close together. It had nothing to do with the water. But Europeans were like, bathing equates to disease. Let's not bathe. And motherfuckers didn't bathe for like a thousand, literally like almost a thousand years. We did not fucking take baths. They only had just started to take baths again in Franklin's time. And he was far ahead of everybody else. The French and him were much more clean, much more clean than everybody else. People especially thought that warm water, because it opens the pores, well, that's going to spread disease even more because it's <laughs> going to get in your pores. So like Native Americans, for example, and peoples from Africa, they weren't opposed to jumping in like cold water sources, streams and lakes and things like that to get a little clean. We were, Americans were, and it wasn't really until Franklin's time that people started to, bathing started to become a thing. When Franklin made soap for his dad as a kid, they weren't selling that for people's bodies. They were selling bars of soap for people's clothes. Jefferson was a big opponent of bathing in warm water or hot water. He's totally all cold water. He believed that was be- uh, oh, more beneficial. Hot water would only lead to sores. I forget what he said. The terminology used, but for sores, if you bathed in hot water, that would open yourself up to getting sores, and that was a definite no-no. They don't even have like shampoo and stuff like that to like the 1800s. And historians... Well, primary sources from uh, people eyewitnessing it, Native Americans would actually like pick lice off of one another and like eat them. Sounds like a nice day. We all had lice. I mean, (laughs) even rich people had lice. And the one reason why you wore wigs was like you shaved your head. It would discourage lice. And then you put a wig on over top of that. A common person would just walk around with fucked up nasty hair that they wouldn't wash for a fucking year. You know, you have spring brides because people would generally kind of maybe bathe like in the spring you'd be like your cleanest and then the bouquets that they would give a bride make her smell a little better because every bouquet and we had the worst hygiene for a thousand years you know that's where actually the tussie mussy came women used to carry around a little bouquet of flowers or herbs so they could put them up to their nose when they were out in public and smell really vile smells that was it was also supposed to be smells were bad too if you got a whiff directly of a chamber pot or of somebody's odors coming out of the body or of their mouth of their mouth odors it was supposed to be un 
healthy. We didn't have toothbrushes in Franklin's time, but they would gargle with tonics of just like water and brandy and things like that. They would gargle. But the French that visited Philadelphia during the war, the French army encamped here in Philadelphia before City Hall stood where it stands in the middle with Central Square. And eventually we have a waterworks that's built there. But prior to that, it was a racetrack. We had like horse races there in the middle of town, our middle of town back then, at least where City Hall stands today. But that's where the French army encamped. And a lot of the French said even American women, like Americans had such bad hygiene, like worse than the English, which was obviously worse than the French generally. But even women, they said, do not wash their mouths. And that was like a huge offense because it's unhealthy. If you breathe in somebody's stink breath and they wake up or mm. smelling, it can get you sick, they thought. It's just nasty anyway. <laughs> Just in thinking about uh, stench of Philadelphia, which was often written about in people's journals and diaries, people that came from Europe would just say the stench of Philadelphia. But I have a question about a chamber pot that King Louis XVI, and maybe Neil can verify this or not, it may be another one of those interesting stories that keeps being told, that he had a um, chamber pot painted for Marie Antoinette with Ben's picture painted on the bottom. <laughs> So that because he was really annoyed at how Marie Antoinette was so engrossed with Ben. And he said, now you can be close to him no matter what you're doing. I love that. I don't know, but it would be perfectly in keeping with what Franklin could do to others. I got a feeling Ben would probably be honored by that one. <laughs> I think he'd enjoy yeah, that. I think yes. he would enjoy that story. But for everyone who <laughs> loves the folksy Franklin, there were tons who did not. Yeah. The act of the folksy Franklin wasn't really an act, but it alienated an awful lot of people. It was not just Adams. It was everyone. Yeah, he had his fair share of people that were annoyed by him. I think most of the founding fathers would not have been in his corner. Well, he had a bad name. He had his name sullied by I... Arthur Lee, one of the Lees, I think oh, Arthur, yeah. Arthur Lee wrote back and he said he's profiteering, he's profiting off of personal interests and chasing skirts. And he tried to sully his name because the French do things differently. And Americans from the English, English and Americans alike, generally hated the French because they were our enemies. So we're siding with our enemies, essentially, against England. So like John Adams did not like the French when he was there and it, it shone through. But Franklin was open minded and he did what he had to do. He was a master diplomat, a master statesman. And he realized like a chess game. And he describes this also in The Way to Wealth. And the French would have read The Way to Wealth. He compiles a lot of the stuff that in Poor Richard's Almanac would have helped you to be industrious. He describes life as a chess game. You don't make your move too quickly or then you have to live with a rash decision and chess teaches you to be patient it teaches you when you make a move what advantage is it to you what advantage is it to your enemies your competition maybe say but it's everything is a chess game and i think that the culmination of his insight into human behavior and just his thinking the culmination of everything in his life sort of led up to that moment to get the french on our side because literally the british are the most powerful arrogant military on the planet we were expected to lose without dutch loans military help from the French and eventually the French allies, the Spanish come in on it with them. And so French and the Spanish, probably the most two powerful militaries, the British being actually maybe third, they're small, but they're the best trained military sure. Prussia would probably have words to say about that. Maybe well, even Prussia, Russia. Prussia does come up. Prussia does come up as the most well-trained, for sure, which is what actually the Seven Years' War, one of the things that, that was that the British and the yeah. French prior, I think we had talked about this in the first episode, but the Seven Years' War, what they would have called the Seven Years' War in 
Europe, we call the French and Indian War in America. One of the reasons for that war was the British and the Prussians made an alliance. So the best land power, at least the toughest, probably the, and the biggest sea power. Yeah, and the, and the most tough sea power. But it was only a friendship. Tri- it didn't say that they were going to have each other's back, but no. it was interpreted that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think one of the not problems within, because it would have been for some of the people back in his time, was he had such a wicked sense of humor. You all aware of his book about fart proud? <laughs> I don't know if now's a good time. I just have these thoughts. It's great. He says if if we had flatulence that smelled more like cologne and perfume, it would be good. Right. And that little book, you know, Fart Proudly, I always tell my guests about it on the tours. In fact, I have a copy because they often say, oh, you made that up. And I said, no, I didn't. One of the lines, I believe it's the last line in the book, says, fart for liberty, (laughs) fart for freedom, fart proudly. Well, he was a journalist, so he knew how to tell a good, entertaining story while teaching you something and imparting a life lesson. He was also very satirical. He wrote a lot of satire. He was very, very good at it. Too. He was like the original Onion. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's what, true. Yeah, He came from that family background that James had had in Boston, and he had it himself. That's how James started off, was yeah. satirical writing against yeah. the governor. The New England current. Locked mm-hmm. up for it. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons Ben left yeah. is James got locked up for it. But I always thought in a lot of ways to me, we spoke about it last week, our last episode, that Franklin looked at life like a ledger sheet. Yeah. You know, and I thought that's how he looked at diplomacy, which made him a great diplomat. If I get something and you don't get anything out of the deal, it's not a good deal. No. Right. Why would I agree with you if yeah. I'm not getting anything out of it? Yeah. I always try this with visitors that I'm speaking with and I'll say who won the American Revolution? But of course, it's an obvious we did. Mm-hmm. And then I'll say who lost? And they'll say, well, the Brits. And I say, well, they still have half of North America. You know, if you want to get an idea how strong Georgia and England is, that's not the end of the empire. Mm-mm. They just basically say it's a political problem. We learned our lessons. We're going to move on. We pivot. Mm -hmm. Would you think the French are the ones who lost? They end up in a world war. We certainly kind of betrayed them in in a sense, because when John Jay was sent over with Adams again after he was called, but to negotiate the peace treaty with England, one of Franklin's, I don't want to call him friend, but somebody he was very friendly with from Britain. He, I think Lord Shelby. Shelburne. Shelburne. Thank you. He contacts him directly and he says, let's negotiate. And at first Franklin said, well, we owe a debt. We wouldn't have possibly win it. This, This is after Yorktown too. And the French blockade of Yorktown with their Navy. Navy and the help of Lafayette, like French troops, there was as many troops there and their military thinking because George Washington was, you know, he never rose beyond the militia colonel. Prior to this, he didn't know anything about siege warfare. We owe a debt. We wouldn't have got this. We wouldn't have got this far if it wasn't for the French. And so we shouldn't cut them out of the negotiations. However, realistically thinking, the French are going to want a lot of shit. We just want a modest thing and they don't care about our independence so much as the shit that they're going to get out of it. And we just help them along. So Franklin falls in line with what John Jay and John Adams say, which is, we got to look out for ourselves. Machiavelli, like get with the program. And Franklin says, yeah, you're right. And I mean, the very borders of the United States were at issue. There were Americans in Congress that were willing to give navigation of the Mississippi to the British. And they basically gave us anything we wanted to get us out of the war on a separate piece that we made without France. So the French were pissed. And Franklin's diplomacy back because he was trained as a flatterer, as a courtier. And he strokes for Gen Zigo and he's like, I want to assure you of our (laughs) lasting affections. There are some in Britain that say that this will drive a wedge between us. And I say, no, there's nothing counter to French interest in this treaty. And Virgin realized that it was a dream treaty for the Americans because they basically gave us what we need. (laughs) Keep it beautiful, my friends, and keep it grim. 
philly.com for the highest rated tours in the city history tours every morning ghost tours and dark history tours every night all of the year round god rest his soul anthony bourdain's favorite tours in the city of philadelphia or anywhere for supporting this podcast on patreon we cannot thank you enough we cannot do this without you thank you from the bottom of our hearts so so much patreon.com backslash grim philly patreon.com backslash grim philly with more Grim Franklin tidings and more on the founder's feminine acquaintances and his time in France, which Abigail Adams was pretty fucking horrified by. <laughs> Ladies adored him and he, they, and propositioned <laughs> some in writing, which we shall read, discuss, ponder. It's an episode filled with diplomatic intrigue and spycraft, amour, and lots of dark history's intrigue on Benjamin Franklin. Aside from the good minister himself, that is, Cisco, our favorite son of Philadelphia, if Philadelphia ever had one. Next time on Grim, Benjamin Franklin and Amoris Open Relationships. There you go. All right, all right. There it is. Boom. Ah, all so right. Then, all, all you right. gotta do is just uh, cool the gain. So like talk into it, and you don't, you know, you know not to go in the red and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, you just yeah. turn the gain down a little. All right, man. All and then right. If you so, just, so all of it, just make so, sure. So like I'm set up, and this is all I need. Yeah. Like I'm set up right now. I'm you good are to go. set. Let me just make sure you could hear oh, yourself. So and you can. All right. all right, dude. Carly, I love you. Awesome. Yeah, dude. Anytime. You're one of my faves. So, you always so good. So are good. fun to hang with. And I you love always want to learn. I, I like do. when people want to learn. I love when you want to teach me. Have fun, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks again. Two, one, five, and six. This is a test. Benjamin Franklin and mistresses. Now we do the Beetlejuice thing. The ad for the Kimmel Center. The ad for Beetlejuice. Let's do it. Beetlejuice. 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 Ah, right, let's try this again. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. <laughs> Beetlejuice.